0: If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to our two scripture readings this morning, beginning in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We'll be first in Isaiah chapter 40 for the first five verses, and then we'll turn to our sermon text in Luke chapter 2. So, Isaiah 40, starting in verse 1. Again, this is one of those great Old Testament uh, prophecies about what will happen when the Messiah comes. This is the word of the Lord. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. And now from the New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. Every time a king is born, there is appropriate fanfare. Don't you agree? Appropriate fanfare. Uh, You might not be as much of a watcher of the royal family as I am. I know I'm weird. Y'all know I'm weird. We can get that out of the way. Uh, Little George was born several years ago uh, to William and Kate. He will one day, Lord willing, be king of England himself, Little George. And to announce his birth, it's this whole ceremony that they do out out in front of Buckingham Palace. Uh, Palace staff dressed in tuxedos come out with a very fancy framed proclamation that has all the details of the baby's birth, the the weight, the length, the the doctors who delivered the baby sign the little official royal thing it's got the queen's seal on it and they have this golden easel out front that these tuxedoed folks come out and put the announcement ceremoniously on the golden easel and all the people who are crowded around the front gates of Buckingham Palace waiting for this to happen are standing there and they see it and cheer you know a king has been born right a king has been born right out in front of the palace golden easel and all the rest now Think about this, this morning, this Christmas morning. When God's son was born, it was impossible that he would come into the world without any fanfare. It was impossible. There had to be some fanfare, right? And so God sent angels, not just tuxedoed men, but angels, the heavenly host. And they came not just with a written proclamation, but a verbal, out loud, almost song that they sang. But I want you to see again. We've seen it all, all series long here in December. The exalted lowliness of it all. Because God, when he sent his fanfare about his son, did not send them to a palace. There were no golden easels. Where did he send them? As the Jesus Storybook Bible says, to a bunch of raggedy shepherds. People who would have been considered on the lowest end of the society social scale received the official fanfare announcement from God himself about the birth of his king, about his son. Do you think God's trying to teach us something? Through all these details about the birth of Jesus, how how he's specifically choosing to come into the world in a lowly manner, is he trying to teach us something? I think he is. Here's what it is today. Today. God gives grace to the humble, but he withstands the proud. God gives grace to the humble, but he withstands the proud. If you look at your bulletin, I want to show you this in just three simple ways. We'll follow the story. First of all, seeing what the shepherds saw. Secondly, what did the shepherds hear? And lastly, what did the shepherds do? Y'all ready for it? I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> we're cold, I know it. It's it's Christmas, but here we go. What did the shepherds see out there on the plains that night? Well, verses 8 and 9 kind of give us an idea, and it's an amazing thing that they saw. Uh, first of all, it says they saw an angel. Now, these were shepherds who were not expecting to see an angel. Of course, right? I mean... Who does expect to see an angel, after all? Uh, Not anyone, really, but especially not shepherds on duty in the middle of the night. And this is what was the case here. They were on-duty shepherds, out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock. Being a shepherd was a hard job, especially back then. Uh, Sheep and other livestock were kept not typically in pens most of the year, but they were free-range. And so they would have to follow them around from pasture to pasture to wherever the grass was growing at that particular time. And at night, they'd have to huddle them all together around a fire and keep them there. They'd have to stay up all night to make sure none of them strayed away and to make sure no predators came around to get the sheep. And when you're a sheep, what is a predator? Just about everything, right? Uh, Just about everything. You're kind of one step up from a chicken. And everything eats chicken. And most everything eats sheep, right? And so the shepherds have a full-time job when they're on duty to watch over these little wooly creatures. They are not expecting to see angels. And yet an angel appears. And you can see right off the bat, this is not your cute, cuddly baby playing a harp on top of a cloud this is not that type of angel if there even is such a type of angel as that I don't know that there really is a, a naked baby on a cloud uh, I don't know where we got that uh, this was a warrior of light and we know he was a warrior because later on it says he's joined in verse 13 by a multitude of the heavenly hosts and that word host means army It's like here is the general angel, the angel who is the general of the angels, appears later to be joined by his army, the army under his command, under God. And along with the angel was a light that shone around them. And this is a famous part of the story. The glory of the Lord shone around them, it says, uh, describing what the Old Testament calls the Shekinah glory of God. Have you ever heard of that before, the Shekinah glory? That's a Hebrew word that means the visitation, the, the coming to dwell kind of presence of God. When, when God comes to settle with his people, it's the Shekinah glory. And in the Old Testament, the Shekinah always came with the same phenomenon. It was fire, it was cloud, it was burning and bright, and everybody fell on their face like they were dead in front of the Shekinah glory. You couldn't come, you couldn't come close to the Shekinah glory. And that's what these shepherds saw. In the middle of the night. A bear? No. A lion? No. God's army. God's Shekinah presence. As if God were announcing to these shepherds, here I am. In the midst of you, I am coming to stay. I am coming to I am moving into the neighborhood. Behold my glory. What is the shepherd's reaction to this? What would have been your reaction to this? Well, it's the same as it always is in the Bible when someone sees the Shekinah or someone sees the angels. It says they were filled with great fear. I prefer the King James at this point, because maybe it's just from my childhood, but they were sore afraid. I like the way that puts it, right? They were sore afraid. I mean, I don't know if this is what they intended way back then when they translated it that way, but it makes me feel like they were so afraid it hurt. They were sore afraid. They, They fell upon their faces in the dust when they saw the glory of God. Why? Because glory, y'all, I've said this before, but glory means weight, like heaviness. That's what glory means in the Bible. They saw the heaviness of God revealed to them. And when you see how heavy God is, how does everything else seem? How do you seem? Pretty lightweight. Things that are lightweight against things that are heavyweight, they buckle, they shake, they fall down. The shepherds do all of the above in fear, almost you could say even terror at what they had seen because, wow, the living God is here. Now, y'all, do you feel that way about God? Do you think that way about God? Because actually, if you're going to understand the Christmas message and really going to embrace it truly in your heart, you're going to have to have that sense of the weight of God or it's not going to make sense. God sending his son to put him to death doesn't make any sense unless God is super weighty and important. such So important, in fact, that that a single violation of his law deserves death. That's God. The shepherds came face to face with that, and you and I need to as well. Uh, I tell this just about every Christmas, but I know you don't. You remember everything I say, right? You don't, no. So so you might not even remember this, but I went to Bethlehem in Israel one time. Went to Israel one time, and I, I loved going. And the Church of the Nativity is is where they have said for many years, this is a site where Jesus might have been born. I can neither confirm nor deny, but... That There's a church built over the top of it. It's actually two churches in one over the top. And there is a particular door that you go through to enter the Church of the Nativity. It's called the Door of Humility. Remember me telling you about that? And the door was purposely made. I don't remember. Mike might remember. He was there with me, actually. It was was small. I mean, I had to bend down quite a bit to get through that Door of Humility. Everybody has to bend down to get to it. And you look at it and you think, wow, were they elves? Why why did they build the door that small? And the answer is simple. They were trying to make a point about Christmas. This is the church of the nativity. And in order to see truly the place of Jesus' birth, in order to see the point of Jesus' birth, you must go low. The high and mighty can't see this. The people looking out for golden easels and palaces can't get this. Only those who have been brought to the dust before their maker can get this. And in a time and an age where we live and and everything seems to be so disenchanted because we're so filled with materialism and consumerism and all the isms, right? And, And we've lost that sense of transcendence with God. We need to recapture it. We need God's grace, actually, to come and recapture it for us so that in a way the glory of God might blaze around us this morning. So that we can realize where things really stand between us and God. God is important. God is weighty. We are not. The things of this world are light and momentary compared to Him. Before Him, no sin can come, and therefore no sinner can come. And yet, God, in His mercy, sends His Son into this world. Do you believe? that God is that significant is there anything in you that trembles in fear at the living God if not you're not ready for Christmas if so you're ready to hear what's next because the shepherds didn't just see something they heard something That's the second thing this morning. If you'll look at verses 10 to 14, the shepherds saw the blazing glory. They were humbled. They were made sore afraid. And then in verses 10 to 14, the angel begins to speak. And the word that the angel speaks is a word of reassurance. (coughs) Have you all ever experienced this? A kind word can really calm you down when you're in a tough spot. I mean, the Bible actually says it. A kind word turns away wrath. Meaning if someone's angry at you and you, you speak kindly to them, you don't return barb for barb. It can actually calm them down. Sometimes it might make them more mad, you know. But most of the time, it calms people down when you're kind in your words. I remember when I was in first grade, I was in Miss Schwab's class. And I brought her from my mother a Christmas gift to school. Uh, I don't even remember what it was. It was some kind of breakable Christmas trinket of some sort. Beautiful, I'm sure. And I was so excited to bring it to Miss Schwab, teacher's pet. And somehow, I broke it. I don't remember the circumstances, but between when Mom gave it to me in the morning and when I got to give it to her, it broke. Either I dropped it or it was in my backpack and it got smushed. And I was absolutely terrified and shattered. And I went up to her and I remember just bawling, you know, as a, as a first grader. Oh, Ms. Schwab. I'm afraid of what she's going to say. I'm afraid of what my mom's going to say. And I'm just sad that she's not going to get to enjoy the gift I gave her. And I'm just sobbing. And I'll never forget it. Ms. Schwab just hugged me and said, it's all right. It's all right. I'll enjoy it anyway. That's what a kind word will do to a broken heart. Now, notice the shepherds have been shattered at the glory of God. And yet, the angel who brought that glory is the one to say, What does he say? What's the first two words he says? Fear not. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Just stop for a minute and think about it. The God who makes us afraid says, fear not. Reminds me of that great hymn, Amazing Grace, which we all love, I'm sure. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Do you get that? There's a paradox there, if you know what that... I mean, there is a contradiction, it seems like, going on there. Grace teaches my heart to be afraid of God. That's the first thing it does. But then grace comes once I'm afraid of God, and it relieves my fears with the announcement of good news. The angel says, fear not. Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy, as if to say, I come in peace. God says, I'm with you. God says, I'm going to stay with you. And it's not a mission of condemnation, but of love. It's not a mission of damnation, but of salvation. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. All of God's people in all places, in all times will receive joy. Because of the news the angels came to announce. Look at verse 11. This is what the news is. Unto you is born this day. Unto you is born. That's the thing about Jesus, right? He was born not for himself. He lived not for himself. He died not for himself. It wasn't for his own punishment. It wasn't for his own judgment. It was for ours. Unto us. Unto you is born. Three things, a Savior, a Christ, a Lord. Jesus is all three of those things wrapped in one glorious person. And that's good news, a Savior. I mean, how good is a Savior? You say, well, it depends. Do I need saving? Well, yes, you do. That's why the shepherds were quaking with fear. That's why we ought to be quaking with fear. Every time we hear about God's standards and commandments in our lives, none of us measure up. Not a single person in here even comes close. We ought to be concerned about that. And yet God says, Good news, don't be afraid, a Savior has come. One who will deliver you by His work and not your work. Don't be afraid, a Christ has come. Uh, Christ means anointed one, a Messiah, one who's been anointed by God to do a job. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Jesus came to represent us to God as our great priest. He came to reign over us as our king. That's, That's the Messiah, the Christ. And finally, he came to be Lord, it says. Lord, master, king, ruler. And that one may sound the least good of the good news, but that's actually, I think, the most good of the good news, because remember what the Bible compares us to, the same woolly creatures that the shepherds are busy watching over. That's what the Bible says we are. I love that the Bible doesn't say, you are my wolves. Tough and alone in the wilderness, going it on your own, and what a majestic howl you have. The Bible doesn't say that about people. The Bible says you're my sheep, which means you can't do nothing without him. And I can't either, which means we're totally lost without him. We need a shepherd, amen? And Jesus was born that shepherd. That's what it means that he's Lord. He's master. He's king. He shows us the way we ought to go when we do not know it. The angel says, look, you can go see this for yourself if you want to. This is a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. So far, so good. There are plenty of those around, right? They could have gone to Bethlehem and maybe found two dozen babies wrapped in swaddling cloths. But the last part, they're only going to find one of those. The baby wrapped in swaddling clothes is going to be lying in a manger. I guarantee you there was only one of those in Bethlehem. A baby in a feeding trough. Not many of those out there. As if to say, y'all, good news, the one and only is here. If your need is a missing puzzle piece, he is the piece that fits it. And the only one that fits it. I want to tell you this morning, the same thing is true for us. Your life has a hole in it. My life has a hole in it. If you haven't noticed it, you're probably under 15 years old. Am I speaking truth? If you're over 15, you've noticed you have a hole in your life. That hole has a shape, it has a size, it has dimensions, it has depths. The only thing that can fill that gaping hole is the child born to you, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the only baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger that night in Bethlehem. Everybody has strategies for how to calm the fear in the heart. Everybody has strategies for how to get peace in their lives and in the world. Let me ask you this morning, how are your strategies going for you? How's it working? Is the hole still there? Only he can fill it. shepherds saw the shepherds heard and finally this morning what did the shepherds do well they did something amazing which shows us what a true believer will always do at the good news of Christmas verses 15 to 20 the shepherds show themselves to be true believers at this point which is amazing really because they only had this one interaction with with the gospel just one time and boom God changed them and God brought real faith into their heart. I and mean, this is just a marvel to think about. They are bona fide believers. Did you know that, by the way, that faith is something you can test? We're so, you know, we're so prone to think the opposite of that. Like, faith is personal. Don't you be going and questioning my faith. I know I have faith, I know I believe. What are you doing, preacher man, trying to give me things to test my faith by? I know where I stand with God. Really? You really do? Maybe you do. But does God agree with you? Every person needs to test their faith. Every person needs to think, is it bona fide? Have you ever heard a few, like, maybe fans of a particular band talking or maybe a particular sports team, and they're going back and forth trying to one-up each other on how big of fans they are, right? You've had a conversation, like, maybe you've been in a conversation like that. Oh, yeah, I'm a bigger fan of the Seminoles. I was there in 1993 when xyz right and the other person says yeah right i I go to three away games and all the home games every year and they're back and forth who's a bigger fan what they're doing is they're testing their bona fides against one another's bona fides we'll check this test out for faith when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another. It's the first thing they do is they confer with one another over what they've seen. They say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that's happened as the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They confer together, sharing their faith with one another, you know, kind of encouraging one another towards what they know they need to do. They decide to actually do it, which is a hard thing, by the way. Uh, Remember what the shepherds were doing. They were on duty. They had sheep to care for. Um, All the indications actually, it doesn't say it in the passage, but all the historical indications point towards these were probably shepherds of the sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple. Because there was an old Jewish law uh, that we know about from that time that said any uh, sheep within so many miles of Jerusalem were only for the temple. And Bethlehem is well within that. Range, They had important cargo. And yet, what do they have to do to go to Bethlehem to see the baby? Leave them out all by their woolly lonesome on the side of the hill. And yet they do it. And it says they do it with haste, which is that same word that we heard when it said Mary went to Elizabeth with haste when she heard the word of the angel. They have that same faith that Mary had. That said, if God, if God just so much as suggests we need to do something, we're doing it. All God has to do is suggest it. And I'm there. And they go and they find the baby. And it says they, they shared their message and their wonder Uh, verse 18 begins to be spread around other people begin to wonder with their wonder and then they leave at the end verse 20 glorifying and praising God which is amazing that they don't walk away saying boys how special we are we'll tell our great-grandchildren what we did tonight that's not what they're saying they're walking away saying glory be to God Praise the Lord for who he is, for what he's done, what he will do. Y'all, right there you have three, and I just want to quickly just list them out for you to think about. Three bona fides of faith. And I would urge you from the bottom of my heart, as your pastor, to run yourself through these tests. Do you have real faith? Well, the first thing that you'll have if you do is wonder. Wonder. Is the gospel something that amazes you? Do you confer with other people about it? Is it a topic of conversation at all? For the shepherds it was. They said to one another, let us go. Can you believe what we just saw? Can you believe what we just heard? Let's go see it. Are you doing that with somebody in your life? Come and see Jesus. Come and see what I've seen. Wonder gives rise to conversation. The second thing we see here is love. And true faith is not the same thing as love. I'm not trying to say faith and love are equal. Like that's not the same thing. Love is added to faith. You're saved by faith alone. Love is added to that. And yet, a real faith always has love added to it. Always has love coming out as fruit. And you see love here because of that word haste. And I just want to make a big deal out of that word, like I did with Mary several weeks ago. Uh, For them to hear what they heard and immediately, without any delay, go and do what God told them, shows that they had a heart for the Lord. They had a passion for God. They cared about his words. They treasured them. And y'all, that is a bona fide of faith. Do you treasure the word of God? When Jesus comes to us, he comes clothed in the Bible. He comes holding a Bible to hand it to us. He comes bringing a word. And if you do not treasure that word, question whether you got faith. Question whether it's real. Do you make haste to be with the Lord by hearing his word? Do you make it a priority to be with the Lord in prayer? They did. All true believers have. last bona fide here is praise. They walked away not boasting in themselves, but glorifying and praising God. Have you ever thought about this? Everybody's life has a soundtrack. Everybody's life has background noise. In your heart right now, you got background noise. Every day of your life, background noise. It comes out of what you say. It comes out in your conversation. That's your your soundtrack. Is the soundtrack of your life praise? Does it strike the note of glory? Or, this is going to sting because it stings me, is it complaint? Is it demands that you have for God and everybody else? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it pride and boasting in yourself? What is the soundtrack of your life? True faith. If we want to talk this morning about faith, which is what Christmas is about, right? Faith in Jesus. If we're going to talk about that, let's think about these bona fides. The first people who heard the gospel were filled with wonder. The first people who heard the gospel were filled with love and went with haste to go be with what God said they needed to be with. And they were filled with praise. It became a new soundtrack for their lives. And the Bible says, test yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. But good news this morning, whether or not the test is pass or fail, good news of great joy. Unto you is born today, unto you is born today a Savior, a Christ, a Lord. Amen.